And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It's Tuesday evening. I, I sometimes will mention to you guys uh, what day and time I'm speaking to you, but it feels important to do so now because of the incremental news that continues to come out regarding the potential sale here of the Washington Commanders. Uh, I'll get to where we are right now with that, including the report that uh, my colleague Dan Kaplan and I uh, put out on Monday night uh, with regards to the agreement that is not signed, but the agreement that the Harris and Snyder groups uh, forwarded to the league for an informal review. We'll get to what's going on there in a moment. Guest today, got to focus on the NFL draft, Matt Miller with ESPN. Ironically, Matt and I spoke uh, last week at the exact, during the exact moment when we first got word that an agreement uh, between Snyder and Harris uh, came out. So um, that, that was a, a wild few minutes for me there. But in any event, uh, a really interesting conversation with Matt, who obviously one of the go-to voices this time of year. And rather than just saying, what do you think of this guy? What do you think of that guy? We played strategy, and I, pre I presented him with different scenarios for Washington to consider, you know, if it's these three players are sitting there, who would you take uh, that type of deal? Uh, we, we talked also, like, about what, what do you do if B. John Robinson is sitting there? So a really interesting conversation, and I hope you guys will enjoy that. Uh, you, of course, make sure to follow this podcast on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere you do your podcasting, and uh, subscribe to The Athletic. Speaking of the mock draft world, story up Thursday, or sorry, excuse me, Wednesday morning. Every year I have done this exercise where I have done sort of a choose-your-own-adventure with the mock drafts. I've presented three different scenarios that Washington could take. This year I said we got to go bigger, so I've doubled it. Six different scenarios, two sort of your standard, here's Washington's needs, here's how they ad address them, one with the best player available, and, and three involving trades, because as you've heard me discuss, I think Washington would ideally like to trade, and obviously it's all dependent on who's on the board, but I think trading would be uh, something they would like to do. That said, a whole bunch of fun. I hope you guys will enjoy that as well. So make sure you subscribe to The Athletic if you're not already to check that out on uh, Wednesday morning. All right, let's get to a couple other things here before uh, we get to the interview with Matt Miller. All right, here's the quick update uh, for where we're at. You can read the story on The Athletic that uh, put up yesterday with my colleague Dan Kaplan. Essentially right now, the agreement between uh, Josh Harris and Dan Snyder. It's an unsigned agreement. It is not finalized at all. The bidding process is still open. It is a non-exclusive conversation they're having right now between those two. 
the agreement has been sent to the league for the league to look at it as informally, which is an unusual step from what I've been told. But one reason it may be unusual is because of the notion of indemnification. This is something that the Washington Post reported a couple of weeks ago that Dan Snyder was seeking that in any sale. Indemnification, of course, would mean he would be uh, relieved of responsibilities should any future uh, legal matters or financial penalties come up. That, according to the owners at the league meeting, including Jim Irsay, seems like that's a non-starter for them. That's not something they typically do with uh, with these contracts, according to uh, Ursay said that at the time, and that seems to be the case uh, in general. Though some, I, I've seen on, I've seen some people say legal uh, selling of companies in general. There's some level of indemnification, but obviously here there's a bigger question here. And so, what degree does that mean? What our report was on Monday is that this deal includes some clauses, some provisions about Dan Snyder getting indemnified with Josh Harris signing off on that. But the question is, to what degree? And where is it, what, how does it affect the league uh, going forward? I don't know exactly what is in there. There are obviously some matters that it doesn't seem like it would be the big deal. For example, just the other day, of course, uh, the team settled with the District of Columbia Attorney General over failure to repay ticket deposits from several years ago for season ticket holders. Washington was uh, asked to pay or forced to pay over $600,000 in fines and uh, to pay and, and the deposit re- refunds. I'm not suggesting that's no money, but relatively speaking for the, the billionaires, that's not a big deal. But what about if it's something more specific to Dan Snyder? Like for example, the Mary J. White investigation still ongoing. The crux of that investigation is allegations made by former team employee Tiffany Johnston about uh, sexual harassment from Dan Snyder from several years ago. Or you have the $55 million line of credit that Snyder uh, reportedly took out, unbeknownst to his former uh, minority partners at the time, and the Eastern District of Virginia is now looking into that, according to the ESPN report from a couple of weeks ago. So that's the question of where we are right now. Could this be a big holdup? It could be. I, I didn't go to law school, uh, but from what I gather, it could be. Now, um, the could you know could this take days or weeks or months? That's the big question right now. To what degree are these things uh, being held up? I don't necessarily get a sense that it is a huge deal, but it's a deal, and it's something that everybody's going to have to. Wait on, and we'll just continue to do that here uh, until uh, until we get some resolution. So hang in there on that. It is still feels like the deal is going forward with Josh Harris, but we're not at the finish line yet. What else can I tell you? Uh, Ron Rivera, by the way, is going to speak this week on Thursday along with Martin Mayhew. So this will be their final conversation publicly ahead of next week's NFL draft. It will be kind of wild to have uh, a, a, a conversation about football, but nonetheless, we'll, we'll obviously be talking a lot about other matters as well, and we'll get a chance to ask uh, Rivera about Chase Young's fifth-year option, as well as insight into what their possible plans are 
on draft day. Uh, so that will be coming up this week. And of course, we'll talk about that here on the podcast. Uh, let's just get to it. My Here is uh, my conversation with Matt Miller, NFL draft talk. I really enjoyed this. I think Matt did as well. So let's get to that right now here on the Standard Groom Only podcast. All right, uh, joining uh, the podcast, as promised, one of the go-to voices this time of year with the NFL Draft. He is at NFL Draft Scout on Twitter, Matt Miller with ESPN. Matt, uh, I really appreciate the time. It is definitively your busy time of the year, so uh, thanks for joining us. <laughs> it is. It's. Uh, I used this analogy the other day. Somebody was like, it's Christmas, and I was like, it is. It feels like Christmas if you were one of the elves, where you're, like, you're just working your tail off for one night for three days but it's like you're working so hard for this one moment and then after like you just kind of drift away for a while nobody thinks about the elves for a while so it's i'm very very much excited for this draft i think there's a lot of great players and storylines but I'm, I'm also i'm looking forward to may 1st as well yeah, yeah no 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 doubt no doubt about that you know what i was wondering and i, and I wanted to get into some potential draft scenarios for Washington. But I do want to ask you this. You've been doing this for a while now. You, you've been, a, a, you know, as I said, one of the go-to voices out there. And you're studying. You, you have a brand new list out right now of your rankings. Well over 300 players. That takes a lot of time. You've done this over <laughs> many, over many years. The game evolves. You know, like just, you know, like, for example, like now, you know, you very, you don't see a lot of, well, whatever. The game evolves both strategically, the athletically, as you're doing your homework, how does that change? Like, was there anything for this year where you're like, okay, I looked at what I did the last couple of years, and now I recognize maybe I need to tweak this or that because the game has changed or the players have changed, things like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, so my first professional draft was 2011 for Bleacher Report, and so much has changed since then. I mean, the way we evaluate quarterbacks, you know, Bryce Young would have been eliminated because of his size in 2011 or 2012. We would have it's been like, okay, move on. You're too small. Um, so I think that that is there's a lot more like open doors for players now than there used to be. But also, you know, positional value has changed. I, I think if I had to pick one thing, I would say that it feels like NFL teams are more open to drafting traits and shaping them into a football player. And that's at every position. I mean, I think you could even say that, you know, Patrick Mahomes is the ultimate example of that, of the drafting the traits, and then we're going to give this some time to manifest and become what it is today. Do, uh, is that a good thing? I think it's a, I think it's a good thing. It's a risky thing, right? It's I, so I think that's also why we see teams give up on players faster. You know, what Josh Rosen get like a minute, before the Arizona Cardinals, like, okay, right. never mind. We're we're gonna move on to the next thing. So I think it can be good for players to give them, you know, more opportunity. I mean, you in Washington, you guys are gonna see it with Sam Howell this year, you know, of giving a, a player an opportunity. Um, but I also think it's or maybe we have a little bit of a, a quicker hook, you know, on guys to say, okay, never mind. You know, so like I mean, when I started in this business, you gave quarterbacks like at least three years, at least three years before you were willing to say anything. And now it's I mean, you might get three games before Twitter says you're not good and, and people are ready to throw you out the door. I, I personally think that's it's terrible. Like, I mean, what do I know? But like if I was running up a team and I drafted a quarterback in the first round, he'd have to be Peyton Manning for me to play him year one. <laughs> like I would never I would just yeah, not right. bother. And at a minimum, like you said, I would at least like, okay, if I do have to play him for whatever the reason, I'm giving this guy 
three years or something. Because what, uh, what, what, or, or I got to fire my coaches. Like something doesn't make sense if we can't give right. this guy time. Right, man. And there's so many examples of that Josh Allen plays year one, and people. I do. I don't know if you live on Twitter like I apparently do, but the the it, backlash yes. on Josh Allen was like, this guy sucks. He's not any good. He's just another you know tall quarterback. And now he's one of the top three quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah, Jalen Hurts. Oh, he can't throw. Can't throw. He's a running back. Now he's one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL. And it, even Justin Fields in Chicago, like I can't wait to see what he does. You know, in year two in a system of of the, the steps he could take. So yeah, I think we've gotten on a weird like off topic tangent here and I love it, but that is, you know, if I could change one thing, it would be that like, let's be a little more patient with these guys because it takes, it takes forever, you know, sometimes to know hell Geno Smith. It took like eight years before you, you really right. knew what he was going to be. Right. Right. Then uh, I, I I could go to another tangent and wonder if Jacoby Brissett has that Geno Smith oh, same. potential, but uh, with, same. with, we, we, we can deal with that some other day. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, let, let, let's get into the draft, knowing that things uh, evolve and change. Um, like I said, rather than asking you, what do you think about this player? What do you think about that player? Um, I, I love mock drafts, as people know, and I wanted to like sort of go in that route of like, all right, here's a scenario. Here's what a board looks like based on how you see the draft. You know the prospects. You know where the strengths and the weaknesses are of the class, and you know yeah. what Washington's you know, needs are the basic needs at a minimum. Uh, I'm sure what you would do. So let's go here. Scenario one. This is kind of the basic one where, where a lot of the mock drafts kind of have have things. Let's assume that the top three offensive linemen are off the board. That would be Peter Scaranci yeah. from Northwestern, Broderick Jones from um, Georgia and Paris Johnson from Ohio State. Um, let's assume the top two cornerbacks or off the board. That's Devin Witherspoon from Illinois, Christian Gonzalez from Oregon. And we'll just for argument take say the top four quarterbacks are gone as well. <laughs> Nightmare right. scenario. Okay. <laughs> right. You know, like I said, this is like kind of how mock drafts right. are we're sort of playing out. So that's yeah. that leaves us with players like you got uh Penn State cornerback Joey Porter Jr. or Maryland's uh Devontae Banks. You've got Tennessee offensive tackle Darnell Wright. Every single tight end is available. Yeah. Others I haven't even said. You're sitting there at 16 for Washington, knowing what they are looking for, knowing the board, what they could get later on. What are you thinking about right now if you're on the clock for Washington? This is, I've never had 14 years, I've never had anyone ask me a question like this, Ben. So I love, this is awesome. <laughs> By the way, this is amazing. Um, I would go Joey Porter Jr. And it, like, this is actually tough. So I love Darnell Wright from Tennessee, but he's a right tackle. And you guys just signed Andrew Wiley, um, who's a good player. Um, so I would go, I would go Joey Porter Jr. Um, I think the size at corner is something that's missing there. Obviously the length. I mean, when you see Joey in person, the first thing you're struck by is like, oh my God, that is, those are the longest arms I've ever seen on a cornerback. It's just, it's ridiculous. And he uses it well, you know, he's very physical. He's aggressive. Um, you know, yeah, he only has one interception in college, but he's, always around the ball, you know, always. And I think there's in the NFL, we're probably going to see those pass breakups become picks or even if they don't, he's going to have 17 pass breakups in a season. So it's going to be fine. So um, the tight ends are tempting there. They, they are for sure. But I think the tight end class is deep enough that you can get a starting tight end in round two, round three, whereas the corner class is not. So a lot of times, and anyone who's ever heard me on a podcast before will, will remember this. I'm really big on how you stack your draft. So it's not just about, Oh, we checked these three needs. It's well, we know this group is thin at corner, so we got to get a corner early because we're not going to be able to find a starter. 
or, hey, we know this group's deep tight end. We can get a starter in round two or round three. Um, so I think going through that strategy, I'd go I'd go corner first. Yeah, I mean, that's how I try to look at these things when I try to do um, mock drafts. I mean, you're, what you're doing in terms of studying the board is a whole other level. But in terms of like thinking, like, well, what does a team do? It isn't just enough to say, well, they need an offensive tackle. OK, but what's the, yeah. what am I doing in the next round or, or, or two? Did, did I hear you right? Did you say you didn't think this cornerback? You said the tight ends you thought was pretty deep, but cornerback, yeah, not as deep because I, I it seems like I think the narrative is that corner is, is a good class this year. I feel like they're like big drop offs. Um, and I would say, you know, like, like you said, the top two Witherspoon, Gonzalez, and then there's a, a little bit of a drop off to Joey Porter Jr., not not huge, a little bit. Um, but to me, then there's like Deontay Banks is not on the same tier as, as Joey Porter Jr. and Emmanuel Forbes, you know, being 170 pounds, that that is definitely something you got to factor in. But then after that, I think there's a drop off, you know, to guys like uh, DJ Turner at Michigan or uh, Julius Brents at K-State. Um, so I think there are I think there were 10 corners in this class that I gave like a, a starter level grade to. But we might see those guys come off real fast. You know, they might be gone in the top 50 picks. Um, OK, that's interesting. Let, let me ask you about Porter specifically, though. My one concern is that the last two years here, they had this issue with William Jackson where he came from this man man scheme in Cincinnati. Yep. For whatever the reason, he could not adjust to what Washington was doing. And I think a, a lot of teams are play zone. It's not like it's a, a uncommon, but whatever the reason <laughs> right. was, he could not make this work here. And whenever I see a Joey Porter reference, it talks about how he is a really good press corner. Mm-hmm. Maybe he can play zone. I don't know. But that's my one constant hang up or wonder with him. Is that a concern for you at all? I think if he had come out after his 2021 season, that would have been the entire narrative. It is, hey, he's a he's a man only guy. He's really grabby, very much redirects players. I think in 2022 he got a lot better at playing hands off, um, which is I, I think mandatory. You know, you have to get good at that. But also, I, I I thought he went from being someone who's like trying to mug you the whole time to someone who shows that he does have like click and close ability. You know, he transitions well in space. So it might not be something that Penn State asked him to do a ton, but I think the traits are there. And he did improve, you know, his all-around coverage toolbox to where he doesn't have to have his hand on you to to be impactful. There were enough examples this year of him driving on the ball, kind of simulating a zone coverage that would make me feel comfortable. Okay. Um I like that, and just like uh, just since I I mentioned Darnell Wright, you mentioned the right tackle thing. That seems to be where he he is at. I'm I'm sort of confused where he's though with rankings. You have your own rankings, so you can't speak for others. Yeah, but he's it feels like it's been the top three guys that I mentioned, and then there's another group after that. But now I'm seeing Wright get bumped up within to that group, maybe even above some of those other tackles. Is this right. one? Of the, is this a pre-draft hype thing or is there something to the idea that maybe he ultimately does land in that top group well i think you know i mean uh mel kuyper put him at nine overall in his mock draft and i think what we're seeing is he's a really good player but he is he's a right tackle um so and i know mel had him go to the chicago bears who need specifically a right tackle so i think that's why we're seeing him go up i have him ranked fourth behind skronsky jones and paris johnson jr in in that order um, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw a team that had an explicit right tackle need say, OK, this is the guy. You don't have to worry about change of positions or anything like that. Like he's you, you've watched it in the SEC. 
Like he's shut down Will Anderson. He's played well against the best pass rushers in football, and you know exactly what you're getting instead of trying to make that projection. Um, okay, let me ask you, uh, let's go to scenario number two. All right, cornerback and offensive tackle, I think, are Washington's top needs. But let's, for argument's yeah. sake, say they look at the board and think we can get we get, we think we can get good help there on day two. So with sixteen, we want to go somewhere else. So I'm going to give you three players that would be the definition of somewhere else. Okay. I've been talking a lot about the idea of them maybe taking defensive end, even though it makes no logical sense with Chase Young <laughs> and Montez Sweat. But, but at the moment, both yeah. of those guys are free agents after this year, and their top five defensive ends are all also pending free agents and i think there's some interest in a guy like lucas van ness from iowa if he were to be Ooh. there we'll see i don't know if you think he'll, he could be there but perhaps we mentioned tight ends before um they seem to like what they have but i don't know that the rest i don't know if that's 100 accurate or the rest of the world would agree but a guy like <laughs> michael Mayer from notre dame seems like he's considered to be like the best all-around option and then you have not a cornerback, but a defensive back in Brian Branch, the safety from Alabama. Yeah. We, we don't know who's going to play slot for Washington right now. He can do that. They played a lot of three mm -hmm. safeties last year. So I give you those three guys. That's the pool we're looking at for Washington. Which one of those guys would you think makes the most sense? I think Brian Branch, not just because I feel like no franchise has drafted more first-round Alabama players than Washington, but also because he's just a really good player. I know he didn't test well. Like, that's going to be the thing everybody brings up with Brian Branch. So he didn't test well. Kyle Hamilton didn't test well last year. Uh, went in that exact same range to the Baltimore Ravens and is a really good player. I think Branch is – I mean, you mentioned it. He could play nickel. He could play – uh, he could play, you know, true slot corner. He could play outside corner. He can play either safety position. Uh, sometimes you run into guys who they can do all those things really well, but nothing great. I think he can be a great, like Tyran Matthew level, great slot player. Uh, so I don't worry about the 40 yard time because I've seen it on tape. Uh, he's fast enough. He's quick enough. He's, he's so smart and instinctive. And I think if Nick Saban, who is, probably the greatest defensive backs coach of all time says that you're the leader of his defense and the quarterback of his defense. Like I'm going to trust Nick Saban and, and put him out there for my team. In general is 16 independent of Washington is 16, a reasonable range for him based on either the ability or where you think his value is. Cause it does seem like I'm seeing more scenarios projecting him later first or even into the second. So is 16 too rich or no? I don't, I don't think it is because, again, it's kind of like our last conversation. The safety class is so bad this year, and, or the nickel class, however you want to classify him, is so bad that if you don't get him, you're not getting a starter, really. Like, you're, like Sidney Brown from Illinois is a good player, but he's not on that level at all. So I think with Branch is you are maybe reaching a little bit on, in terms of, like, big board value, but you're making sure you get the best guy at the position by a – margin wider than any other position in this class from the first to the second player okay yeah i mean and that is the exact type of thing that we're talking about here it's not just enough yeah. to say well th this guy versus these other two guys at this position is to say well if we, if we skip this and you want this right. <laughs> it's gone yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got one one shot at it right i don't necessarily know that that's what they would do because i know they you know they've got cam curl and Derek forrest uh who they like but again i don't know who the fifth defensive back starter is they typically go five and you know, you can get a cornerback later, perhaps, but safeties, it's not going to be 
that's not going to be much of an option. Um, uh, just Van, uh, Van Ness, I, I, I don't have any real feel for where he goes. I can see him going eight to Atlanta. I could see him going past <laughs> Washington. What? Same. And and like you said, like it's my job to have an idea, but he is one of the the range on him is is wild how big it is because you'll hear a lot. He didn't start at Iowa, but he played like 600 snaps. So he basically started at Iowa and people talk about his measurables and they're fantastic and his production is fantastic. Um, I watched his uh, position drills at the combine sitting in the stands, watching him do outside linebacker drops. And I could not believe how athletic he looked, but I, I do think there are times where he just overwhelmed offensive tackles in college. And he's probably not going to be good enough to do that in the NFL. Like very few people are, that's not a knock on him. You know, NFL offensive tackles have a plan for what they're going to do. Um, so I think he just has to round out his game, but where he gets drafted, you are 1000% right. It could be eight. It could be nine. It could be like, 20 it's it feels like his range is all over the place right now all right uh let's go to scenario number three uh people always want to say we'll just draft the best player available uh that's a somewhat <laughs> of a naive view but okay yeah. there can be best player available within the context of your needs but let's just say it is flat out best player available and washington's board their scouts have said b john robinson the running back from texas yeah this guy's one of the five best players in this draft we know we have Brian Robinson. We know we have Antonio Gibson, but we also want to emphasize the run. We have a young quarterback, and this guy is better than those guys. You're sitting there at 16. He's on the board. You see what Washington has in the backfield. Is B. John Robinson so good that you would have to pass on him, or is it just like, eh, we, we cannot justify this knowing the needs we have elsewhere? That's tough because I love Bijan. He's my number three overall player. So it's that's so tough. I would say for Washington specifically, I would pass because I do like Brian Robinson. You have the pass catching element with Gibson. Um, there, I think there's enough there to say, okay, like Bijan's fantastic, but Brian Branch is going to make a bigger impact on this team because we, you know, or Lucas Van Ness is going to make a bigger impact on this team, um, especially in the long term for Van Ness. So um, as much as I love Bijan, and that is a really tough scenario, I would say you pass on him and, um, you know, we can find another good running back in the third or fourth round that would fit into what you already have. All right, let's go to a different scenario. I have not brought the quarterbacks into the equation yet, but let's change that now. Before I ask you, though, what's your best sense right now of where the the top four guys go, meaning Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, um, Anthony Richardson, and Will Levis? Not necessarily, I don't mean like you think this team is going to take this guy, but just, yeah. it, you know, is, are they going to be the first four picks, perhaps? Are they is, is one or two of them sliding? Is one of them sliding all the way down to Washington or beyond? How, how do you kind of see that yeah. right now? Young and Stroud are going to the top four as, how, as of right now. Richardson is, is a little bit harder to, to peg. I would say top seven. I, 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 right now, I would be kind of surprised if he got past Seattle, Detroit, and the Raiders. Levis, is he could slide to Washington. Um, I talked to a scout yesterday who said that they would they're like kind of intel they were collecting said he might be there in the 20s, um, which – you know, maybe that's a little bit of a smoke screen. It's definitely that time of year, but it, it sounds like it would they would have to be the right scenarios for him to get drafted early. Okay, so let's put let's now localize this back to here. Uh, Ron Rivera has gone out of his way to say we're going with Sam Howell. He's giving him the opportunity 
to start. They paid Jacoby Brissett more money than anybody else in that spot starter, backup quarterback range got this offseason. Um, and they have all these other needs. But if Will Levis shows well. up, and by the way, I should also mention that Ron Rivera might be coaching for his job considering there's mm-hmm. a new ownership and this is his fourth year and things like that. But if Will Levis or is slides and he's, you know, they view him as a first round pick, you know, on paper, then he's going to be viewed as a better prospect than Sam Howe. So while, so this scenario is unfolding, but now my phone's ringing or your phone's ringing. It's a Tampa Bay area code and it's a Minnesota, <laughs> Minneapolis area code. The Bucks pick 19, the Vikings pick 23. They are teams that have been, you know, speculated to be possibly in play for quarterback as a, as a trade up or something like that. You're sitting there for Washington. Are you picking up those phone calls? And we'll assume whatever they're offering you is reasonable with the Jimmy Johnson trade chart and things like that. Are you picking yeah. up the phone to make that trade down or are you picking Will Levis? Oh man, I'm picking up the phone. I would, uh, because I'm, so I'm a, I'm a Jacoby Brissett believer. I'm a huge, he did not get enough credit for how well he played last year in, in a tough situation. Um, I was not a Sam Howell guy. I had him 74th or 75th on my board last year, um, but enough to like, I liked him enough that you want to see where it goes. You know, like let's, he wasn't terrible. Let's not throw him out just yet. Let's see what we've got here. And if it doesn't work, you've got a really good placeholder in Jacoby Brissett. And you can always look to 2024. I know, great point. You know, you might be having a regime in there, but um, I don't think Will Levis helps you win more games this year than Jacoby Brissett does. So I would trade with, again, the eye on, let's stay in the range of a pass rusher. Let's stay in the range of Brian Branch or, I would assume by this point, the top three corners are off the board. So, you know, trading back to that, you know, nineteen or twenty-two or twenty-three is is actually a pretty good spot. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that I think they would like to trade down, and I know we always say with teams, oh, they want to trade down. I, I'm just right. saying, I think for them specifically, with the way the board shakes out and what they did last year, trading down to get to take Jahan Dotson ultimately, but get Brian Robinson, get Sam Howell, get Cole Turner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they would like to do that. So if that to me is the dream scenario for them, that one of these quarterbacks slips and they can use that to, to drop down um, a little, a little bit. Um, let me ask you last thing. I'll, I'll, I'll skip the scenario part. I have, I have, <laughs> but, but I'll, 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 I'll let your brain rest. Um, since you did just put out your rankings with over 300 players, I'm curious about some day three guys. Uh, yeah. Who you like. I think if they take a quarterback, it's a day three. Curious, it's like what who you like at all in general. I will just note that Tanner McKee, the quarterback from Stanford, his offensive coordinator, is now the quarterback coach here in Washington. I don't know if that would make a difference to them, but I'll just mention that. Which of these guys for day three quarterbacks do you kind of like? Yeah, uh, man, there's a drop-off this year at the quarterback rankings. I like Jaron Hall from BYU. Saying uh, like him as like a backup <laughs> would never ever put the expectation on any of these day three guys this year that they will ever become starters. If they do, that is fantastic. Uh, I think Jaron Hall has the most traits. He's undersized. He's a little bit older coming out of BYU, but I think when you put together the combination of arm strength, mobility, accuracy, you know, kind of that extra playmaking ability, I think he has all those tools. Whereas with some of the other guys, whether it be a Tanner McKee who has like no pocket mobility or you know, Stetson Bennett, who, you know, you've got to kind of wonder about the off field a little bit with him, given the, you know, the arrest and the Good Morning America interview and things like that. 
Um, so I think Jaron Hall is the one I would feel most comfortable bringing into a locker room and saying, hey, like you might be the two or the three, but you're going to have a chance to to work here and improve yourself. All right. Um, offensive uh, tackle, we already discussed. They could very likely take one at 16. Mm -hmm. But if they were to wait, um, you know, there could be some other guys down the line. I know looking at your list, one guy who's on that day two, day three border is Jalen Duncan from Maryland. Yep. Uh, I know he's viewed as a really athletic player, but I guess perhaps not enough to get pushed up higher up. Um, whether it's him or somebody else, who's like a day three uh, offensive tackle that you uh, that you're into? No, Jalen's a great example because the athleticism is there. It's just can you can you get him stronger and can you can you kind of light a fire under him a little bit to get him to play a little bit. Um, I don't know, meaner, I guess is maybe the right word, a little more aggressive at the point of attack. But I think when you have guys like whether it be Jalen Duncan or uh, Blake Freeland from BYU, I'm not intentionally going to BYU guys. Don't <laughs> I promise. Don't read into that. Um, you know, they have that athletic ability that you're like, okay, this is a really good bet is that we'll take this guy in the early fourth round. He's super athletic. There's no way to coach that up, but we can get him stronger. Maybe we can coach him to be a little tougher at the point of attack. Tyler Steen from Alabama is another one who probably won't get there, but he's just a really good football player, not outstanding athletically. And, you know, it's the measurables aren't going to drop anyone's jaw, but he's just a really, really good player. Okay. Uh, tight end, you, we, you mentioned that this is a pretty good group. So if yeah. day three, they decide they want to go for someone there, who's your uh... – I don't even I don't even know how to steer you into whether they would be more of a blocker or a receiver, but who do you just in general, who's a day three tight end that you kind of like? Yeah, uh Zach Coons from Old Dominion. I really like him. Uh good, really good all around athleticism, can block. Uh man, Will Mallory from Miami is another one. And I I keep forgetting to bring up how much I like his game. I think like two years ago, we, we would have talked about him as a top fifty player. Um he's just kind of dealt with some injuries. He's dealt with Miami going through a, a coaching change that was you know, drastic for them in terms of scheme, but he had a great senior bowl. He had a really good combine and he is, you know, maybe that H back style, but just a super athletic tight end. Um, okay. Uh, running back, not a position that we talk about a lot here for Washington, although I asked you the Bijan question, but uh, yeah. they, they, they moved on from JD McKissick, who unfortunately has had some injury his history. So I don't know what their their third running back is. And Antonio Gibson is a free agent after this year. If I do narrow this one down to sort of that J.D. McKissick-like speed threat, pass catcher, if they yeah. want to replace that, who's a guy perhaps on day three that uh, kind of fits in that in that bucket? Man, there are a lot of them this year. Uh, Ty J. Spears from Tulane. Zach Evans from Ole Miss. Zach Evans would be my – as long as the background checks out, because there was never like anything bad. He just kind of has rumors of being – you know, a little hard to deal with at times. Um, Zach Evans is like gold star, draft him. He was the number one running back in the recruiting class ahead of Bijan Robinson, that talented. So uh would be all over him. Tank Bigsby from Auburn. Um, Kenny McIntosh at Georgia. He caught a ton of passes. He's not not blindingly fast, but I think he's really shifty. Um, if you want to go super like sixth round, seventh round, Deuce Vaughn from K-State, he's only 5'5", five, five, but probably the best receiving back in the class. So he's like five, five, one eighty. He can get lost behind the line of scrimmage, but just a great receiver out of the backfield. When I've been doing a seven round commanders only mock draft, I'm not insane enough. Like you probably have to do to do a full seven round for everybody next week. Yep. Oh, well, <laughs> good luck with that. Um, but he's the one I've been going with, even though there's maybe a little too much Jared Patterson overlap, but I, I just liked watching him oh, and yeah. felt like that was a, that, that kind of guy he put Patterson aside. 
Um, last last one. This is a this is about as niche as it can get outside of asking you about a long snapper. Uh, the right. Washington's return game has been very uninspiring the last few years. They had Dax Milne handle it last year, and you know it could be him again as the sixth receiver. He he didn't do nothing wrong, but nothing flashy. Are there returners in this draft, and especially if we're talking like later day three, that like you know could get drafted? Maybe not prime solely on the returnability, but you know, yeah, that that's a big part of what they do. But Deuce Vaughn is a great example of that. Someone who I mean, he has that. He has that burst and that ability. So I, I think he would probably be the top of my list of those guys. Um, Ronnie Bell from Michigan could do it as well. Um, th- this is Matt Landers from Arkansas, maybe. This is not one of those – like normally there would be guys you're like, oh, this is a returner. You know, he he adds this to the table. But um, at least on the on the offensive side of the ball, I'm, I'm not mentally coming up with anybody where I, it's like jumping off the, you know, the sheets of paper I've memorized. Is a is Darius Day at TCU a, a receiver? Is he someone or is that like yeah. too far? No, I think he um Trey Tucker from Cincinnati. Okay, you got my brain working now. Uh <laughs> Dante Demas from Maryland. They definitely fit into that role. I, I wonder Tank Dell's maybe a little skinny, but Tank Dell would be a blast to watch back there from Houston. Uh really, really good slot receiver. Um yeah, those are I, I think those are the the players that I would kind of circle for that that position. Okay. Um, Matt, you are uh, a wealth of knowledge. I really appreciate the time. Obviously, go read him on ESPN. As I said, he's got out a brand new full boat rankings. His last one of all the players he's he's looked at in this draft. He just told you he's got a seven-round mock coming next week, so plenty to check out there. And at NFL Draft Scout on Twitter. I got that right? You got that right. All right. Awesome. Matt, I really appreciate the time. Thanks a lot, Matt. Yeah, thanks, man. All right. Many thanks to Matt Miller for his time. Thanks to everyone here for listening to the podcast. You know, all I can keep saying is hang in there. Hopefully we'll get a resolution here soon enough. But for now, we wait. Ben Standig signing off. Until next time. See ya. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.